The thing that ties all of the attacks together is the abuse of privileges and abuse of identity, right? Immediately, whenever an attack is not limited to the single point of attack, right? If they didn't stop at the endpoint that was compromised, then these attackers leveraged an identity. That is true for practically all attacks. Mobile workforces, cloud applications, and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise. And with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and Active Directory security expert, Sean Duby. One of the biggest challenges in today's complex, layered, and hybrid competing environments is figuring out who really has access to what. As in so many things, real life, in this case, real access to applications and critical infrastructure, is much messier than the simple models we try to follow. Do you have any idea how long or short a path a threat actor must negotiate to gain control of your environment? My guest today is Ron Harrell, Director of Product Management at Semperis. As part of his job, Ron spends a lot of time thinking about the underlying problems of securing large, complex environments. Welcome, Ron. Hey, Sean. So why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is that you have to do to think through all of this? So my background is I, I started out as a pen tester about 20 years ago and went into security management and, and have been doing various types of startups ever since within cybersecurity. And throughout the years, the the, the, the challenges have, have changed in, in what we call them. We talk about them a little bit differently, but, but one challenge has kind of remained the same um, throughout the whole time. And, and that knowing at, at any single point in time um, who has what actual privileges um, over what types of assets, right? And, and where sets of privileges can combine together into attack paths, basically, that an attacker can, can leverage to, to get at whatever their objective is. That has not changed. And it's with us since, you know, since AD basically was, was implemented. With hybrid environments, it's, it's being exacerbated because the complexity is, is just growing. Um, and that is a challenge that arises from complexity. It's, it's easy to manage um, access when you have, you know, 10 users and two applications. Um, but when you have hundreds of, of applications and, and, you know, over thousands of, of users of all different types, and those are spread out across multiple identity platform, the complexity becomes immense. And, and the challenge of, of, of doing things like zero trust, which, you know, where, where, where you need to assess for each login, basically, you need to assess the, the, the user and their their level of, of privilege. It's an immense challenge for most organizations. Um, and that's that's really what I spend my time thinking about and, and trying to find solutions for. So to that point, a few years ago, Microsoft updated its security best practices for privilege administration to account for this increased complexity, the fact that both users and applications can now be anywhere not just on-premises in a trusted network using a single IAM system. Um, Microsoft calls it the enterprise access model. Can you explain what the enterprise access model is and how it compares to the old administrative tiering privileged access model that we're familiar with on-premises? 
Yes, yeah, so the enterprise access model is the evolution of, of the tiering model. It was designed to address the, the hybrid environments or even cloud environments. In a way, it, it abstracts the, the tiering model. Basically, it, it takes what we knew as tier zero and redefines it as the control plane, regardless of what specific identity platform you're talking about. You could be talking about just cloud or, or hybrid. And then tier one, which was you know the server administration, um, is now split into the management plane, right, for IT management, in addition to the data and the workload plane. But again, this is, this is an IT, uh, IT management plane. And then tier two, which was the user management, is now split into users and applications, right? So user access versus application access for PIs. Basically, it's still about how to manage privileged access and how to kind of tier or, or look at the different types of, of, um, of privileges. Right. Okay. But, but the idea of the model is that it comprehends more than just a single identity system. It can encompass multiple identity systems, right? Not just... Exactly. Azure Active Directory. Exactly. As you described in the enterprise access model, the, I guess I'll call it the EAM, it depends upon the control plane, which in a hybrid environment is uh, Active Directory and Act Azure Active Directory sort of as a, as a combined identity system. And that enforces the zero trust policy in the model. But the thing I think is intriguing is that for the 90% of organizations that base their hybrid identity on Active Directory and then project it into Azure Active Directory is the fact that AD itself isn't a zero trust system. Doesn't this mean that it's still relevant to include the older admin tiering model on-premises in one's analysis, in one's security analysis? That's a good question. So applying zero trust approaches on, on AD is a challenge. Um, AD... When you say AD isn't a zero trust system, it, it wasn't designed to make decisions or contextual access decisions, right? You have users in, in groups with specific ACEs and, and ACLs, and that's what you have, right? You, you administer that, but but basically the, the, the model is, is fairly static. And that's where the original tiering model came in. It's a very good model. I mean, it, it is how AD is still administered today, or the best practice for administrating the on-prem AD is still through doing admin tiering. Um, so in that regard, it is still very much relevant. When you are defining your trust model and your, and your access model within on-prem AD, you're still using admin tiering. Um, it's just that now tier zero should be seen in the context, in the wider context of the control plane, right? Especially when you look at it in the hybrid context. And then, you know, as Microsoft described it, you, tier one, you know, which were your server administrators, that gets split into the management plane and into the data and the workload uh, plane. And tier two, which were your user management, that now splits into users, but also applications. So, so applications are a type of user. In that regard, what we're talking about really is the fact that, you know, obviously you have to be able to trust implicitly the control plane. We're talking about the validity, the veracity of the control plane. And that sort of feeds into something Gartner has been promoting quite a bit recently, which is the new security category of identity threat detection and response. In other words, actually protecting the identity system that is the control plane for both the older admin tiering model 
and the enterprise access model. The the ITDR category, and I think it's confusing because I, when I hear ITDR, I always think of information technology and disaster yeah. recovery. <laughs> but the category is about solutions that protect the integrity of the identity systems themselves. Now, cloud identity systems are maintained and protected by the cloud service provider. That's the one that you pay every month for. But on-premises identity systems are maintained and protected by the organizations that own them. They're dependent on the staffing, skill sets, and budgets, which is part of the vulnerability that we you know, are wrestling with with ransomware every day. Now, this is the sort of thing where it, you have to use administrative tiering to protect on-premises. And you're also talking about protecting these systems from attacks that are generally from the endpoints. Is that correct? I mean, most, would you say that most of the attacks, unless it's an insider attack, most attacks that security systems are looking for, they're heavily monitoring the endpoints? A lot of attacks do start with endpoints and and most attacks do have endpoint elements. But it, 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 so if I am hit by a phishing, incident uh, or phishing attack that manages to steal my credentials. There is no endpoint involved there as in running code on the endpoint. So, you know, while while endpoints are an important part of the puzzle, they're they're definitely not the whole thing. And it I don't know if most attacks, I don't know about the, the, the specific percentages. I I would I would think that actually today the numbers are a bit lower than they used to be in terms of endpoint involvement. Um, but again, from the thing that ties, that does, that, that ties all of the attacks together is the abuse of privileges and, and abuse of identity, right? Immediately, if, if whenever an attack is not limited to the single point of attack, right? If they didn't stop at the endpoint that was compromised, then these attackers leveraged an identity. Right, that's that is true for practically all attacks. So while attacks don't necessarily all involve endpoints, they do all involve identity. And you know, when you talk about ITDR, you do talk about the another plane, right? It's so we have the control plane, but then we also have an identity plane, which kind of transcends all those because you do have identities that cross planes, right? And when we talk about privilege escalations and and when we talk about attack paths and compound or attacks that that involve multiple stages usually we're talking about changing identities or 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 somehow manipulating identities so you know doing code executions or or manipulating the endpoint that could be a specific tactic that that an attacker could use to escalate their privileges or to abuse an identity to move on Right until they finally reach their end goal, which is you know either encryption or data theft or something like that. So, when the threat actor gets into the environment, regardless of whether it is from an endpoint or from in some other way, as you say, from credential theft, they have some identity, they can get into a system. The old adage: they don't uh, break in, they log in. Uh, at that point unless they're very, very lucky, they generally have to follow some kind of a path to get to the crown jewels. And this leads into what you were laying out earlier about uh, attack paths and about attack path analysis. Could you say just a little bit about the concept of attack paths and 
than the different approaches to uh, address attack path analysis? Yeah, so attack paths at their core are, are a series of logical steps that attackers can or, or do take within an environment to achieve objectives or do anything that they do within that environment, right? So an attack path can be analyzed in a, in a lot of different contexts. You could ask the questions, what attack paths do I have from a normal domain user into, you know, the tier zero, right? Into uh, to take over a domain admin account or to take over a domain control. Right, right. And there's a lot because it's a, such a complicated environment. It's could be all over the place, right? Exactly. So most modern organizations with, you know, a hybrid environment or, or an on-prem environment that have been around for a while will, will have, you know, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands, sometimes more attack paths that, that are just, you know, the, the result of a lot of different things from, from misconfigurations to permission sprawl to, to, you know, leftover permissions from legacy systems, from M&As, uh, just the, the normal you know, kind of life cycle of, of an organization. Um, and, and managing these can be quite difficult. So the traditional approach to it is, has been to kind of map out all of the attack paths, um, usually as, as part of a, a red team exercise, increasingly today also as part of normal security posture analysis, but to map out all of the potential attack paths and then to either start testing them through some kind of exercise or, or reviewing them one by one, or through doing statistical analysis on them, finding common points, several different approaches. Uh, the approach that, that we're taking with, with attack path analysis is a little bit different. What we're looking to do is to actually map out continuously that, that control plane for the AD, for the on-prem environment, in addition to, to different types of planes for, for hybrid environments and to analyze that specific control plane from the inside out. So take the things that you already know, your diamonds, right? The, the domain admins and, and the domain controllers um, and start working your way out. Meaning that, you know, traditionally, if we look at an attack path going from how do I get from the outside to the inside, we're asking actually, um, how do I get from the domain controller? How do I start going out? Right. And as we start to go out, we ask for these things, the question, well, should they actually be there? Right. Should are these things legitimate? And if, if they're not legitimate, then they are risky, then they are an attack path. And it, it stands to reason that the closer you are to the target objectives within the context of an attack path, then the quicker it needs to be remediated. Right. Or the, the higher priority it should be. Of course, there's additional prioritization elements there, like the type of access or, or the type of, of object or user that has that access. But the basic to this methodology is to say that we want to iterate through these attack paths based on their distance from this highly critical asset that we're looking at. And by doing this systematically and iteratively, we get two results. One, we get a map of what is legitimately our real tier zero perimeter, right? Because Again, tier zero at its you know foundation is is a list of things that you know Microsoft originally defined as the things that you should be protecting as the crown jewels. But we all know that access to those crown jewels is just as bad as being with the crown jewels, right? So getting a in logon credentials um, to a user that has admin permissions on a domain controller is akin to having access to the domain controller.
Another example that comes to mind is gaining control of the Azure AD Connect account, which has DC sync rights. So you could pull that. Exactly. So yeah, you could do you could do a lot of things with the Azure AD Sync account, and that needs to be well protected. And that's actually a good example that you bring up because in the context of ITDR, when we look at these things, then we want to look at them from different angles. So one question to ask is what attack paths exist on this specific account, right? Which is obviously tier zero, even if it's not categorized as such by default. Right within our privileged perimeter map, we identify that Azure AD sync account as tier zero, and then what type of attack paths lead to that. And then at the same time, we're also looking at the configurations of that specific account, you know, the, the policies around it and, and all of the indicators of, of exposure that we can find around that. And by combining those, we can get a, a real risk map or threat map, both to that specific asset, as well as to our control plane in general, right? So to our tier zero. And that way we have the holistic view that we need to, to really manage the security posture around it and make sure that there's no identity exposures that, that lead into tier zero. Instead of, this is an inside out approach where you look at something that you know is tier zero, you look at what can gain access to it and you say, is this legitimate or not legitimate? If it's not, remove it. If it's legitimate, add it into what is considered tier zero. So your tier zero perimeter has just expanded a little bit. You iterate through that to see what are all the paths to what your freshly defined tier zero is, right? Yeah, and it, it is important to say that it's not always possible to immediately remove something because you you know you often don't know immediately what the implications are. The point of Forest Druid and the underlying technology that that we're baking into all of our products is that I, I might not be able to completely remediate everything now. Um, but by knowing what is risky and being able to make zero trust decisions based on kind of the attack path status, right, of, of a user or an object or an application, we can make more informed risk-based decisions, right? So we know we can now do two things. A, we can start treating different users and, and different security principles as highly privileged, even if originally they were not, because now they are within our tier zero perimeter. And two, we can know about the risks, right? So we're reducing our unknowns. Um, so now we know these risks and, and we can start managing them. Um, hopefully it'll be remediation, right? But, but not always, but we, we can still do a lot of risk management, a lot more risk management once we have that map. Even if you can't remove access for that account, because either A, it's it's uh, mission critical or it's a line of business application. If you can't, you can at least know that it's a risk and monitor it accordingly compared to treating it like everything else. Is that what you're getting at? Exactly, because the analysis process for these complex environments is complex, right? I mean, it, you, you don't always immediately know, and, and we see this time and time again where, you know, they're usually, when, and we've run, we released Force Druid about two, about a month and a half ago. Right, and we've run this at dozens of of of, of customer POCs and and kind of hands-on, and every single time we've we've seen um, you know that that moment where um, the admin or, or the CISO go, wait, what is this? Why is this here? Uh, what's going on? Right. So if when we have a, a one-hour session, we cover you know several dozens of these, but there's there's usually several dozen more. And, and it, it'll take time. And just because of the dynamic nature of these environments, this gets run, you know, iteratively. So it, it's not just a one-time thing. So, so 
you'll run, and of course, within our products, it'll be continuous, but Forest Druid is, can be run, you know, once a week, once a month. And then you want to do the analysis and you want to understand why this attack path is there. Hopefully, again, hopefully you'll remove it. And again, one of the, one of the things we did with Forest Druid is we're doing experimentation with with a lot of visualizations, right? So we've taken kind of a, a 3D graph approach. You could have a lot of, uh, and, and we do get a lot of differing opinions about it. Some find it extremely useful and, and very easy to kind of spot, um, you know, choke points and, and clusters of users and transitive trust issues and groups, which are, you know, within groups, within groups, and, and, and the problems that are, are, are pretty acute to, to AD. Um, other users like it less, but we're trying different approaches with Forest Druid, which is a free community tool, and we're getting great feedback. But again, the goal here is to really help the admins and, and the CISOs to to map their environments and, and remediate the risky attack paths as fast as possible. Well, you've mentioned it a couple times, uh, so let's let's step back and why don't you tell everybody about Forest Druid? I mean, so this is a new tool out of Sempris. It's a new free community tool out of Sempris. Okay, so yeah, in line with the Sempris product culture of taking the, the, the technologies that, that we build into our products and kind of building a version of them that can be used by the community, right? That for us, and, and I'm talking here as, you know, a product manager, it's really getting feedback, getting community feedback, seeing how our users use it. It's, it's the most valuable thing we have, and the more the better. And that's in addition to our general Sempiris culture of community first and being a, a positive force. It's really great to be able to do this. And what we did specifically with Forest Druid is take that challenge or that problem we want to solve, which is answering the question at every single in time of what is privileged, right? And and given a specific user, what is the risk? What is the identity risk in terms of attack paths, in terms of exposures, in terms of compromises and, and everything else? This is our way of providing a, a repeatable methodology to continuously answer that question, right? So Within Forest Druid, you could, it, it doesn't require any installation. So you, you fill a form on our website, you download it, and, and you run it. It's a portable tool. It doesn't collect endpoint data. It can't be used by attack. It doesn't do the Bloodhound stuff, right? It, it just maps out the AD permissions using LDAP. It brings up that uh, 3D graphical interface with a, with a data list, and you, you immediately start working, right? And, and in the largest environments of, of millions of users, it took under an hour. Uh, to collect all of the data. So you immediately get to work and, you, and right off the bat when you launch it, you have this this 3D graph that is very limited, right? Because a lot of environments will immediately have thousands and thousands of attack paths. So what you see first are just like your, your crown jewels, just the tier zero domain controllers and domain admins and those core tier zero assets. And around them, you'll you'll see like those first attack paths, the first, the, the I should say the last hops um, of the attack pass, the hops that will allow the attacker to take over those objects. You see their names and they're a, a, a group or a user or, or something else. And then you just have two buttons. That's it. The one button is classified as tier zero. The other is keep it risky, right? It's, it's, we can even call it one and a half buttons. If I click on something that is legitimate, then you see it immediately being added to tier zero. And then what happens then is if there are attack paths into that new object, then now you will see them, 
It forces you to kind of traverse attack paths. You can also, of course, there's other functionality there. You can increase all of the hops. You can kind of roll out all of the attack paths if, if you want to, although those gra graphs get pretty big pretty fast. You could do searches for specific users or objects. You could do several things. And of course, of course, of course, um, you can export the data. Right, so so you can export the data, the CSV, all of the classifications that you did, all of the the risky relationships. You export those, and and you can immediately consume them, whether for remediation or for feeding into a a watch list for for users that are at risk or anything anything like that. It helps you define well. It helps you understand what your tier zero really is, as opposed to what is a superficial analysis of, you know, whatever monitoring tool may think that it is. So this is available. It's part of the Purple Knight family of free community products. I suppose I could try to give you what the URL is, but it, nowadays it's simpler to just simply do a search for Semperus Forest Druid. What we're talking about and where this stitches into the ITDR category, uh, I guess you'd call it identity threat detection, identity vulnerability to help protect your identity systems. You can't protect what you don't know, right? So Within ITDR detection and response, uh, uh, part of that detection is contextualization, right? Because we're getting so much signals from, from so many different places. Once you know, a, a user pops up, a series of events pop up, right? Being able to tell, is there a, a, an attack path traversal going on? Is this user, well, first of all, is this user part of my control plane? Right. Until today, a, a user might have been compromised. You might have gotten uh, endpoint endpoint signal or, or, or some failed login signal from an account, and you thought it was just a normal user account, right, or some low-level admin or, or something like that. But lo and behold, now you found out that it actually has a very short path into tier zero. That would change your playbook, your response playbook. To just pull an example out of the air, a compromised user or a user with some activity on it that has administrative rights to a group policy that happens to be applied to the default domain controllers OU, which then is a path for the threat actor to gain control of domain controllers. Exactly. Exactly. So when you find something like that, the first question is, should that even exist? Right. And it might be that it does exist because or that you know about it and it still exists either because it is you need it for some reason or you just haven't remediated it yet. It doesn't mean even if it has not been remediated yet, it does not mean that we cannot still monitor for it and detect whenever that privilege get, gets exploited. And access to that user should be considered high risk access. Thanks for joining us on the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast with Sean Duby. Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Visit hipconf.com, that's H-I-P-C-O-N-F.com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation.